We're going to be in the Gospel of John this morning, so if you have your Bible, please go ahead and turn to the Gospel of John. We've been in John for the past few weeks during our previous sermon series. We're going to hang out in the same vicinity uh, today, at least. So we'll be uh, in this sermon series today, not next week because of Jackie Robinson, then the following two weeks, and then we'll be on our church retreat. John chapter 14, verse 15 through 17, and then we're going to jump ahead to chapter 15, verse 26 through chapter 16, 15. Uh, I'm going to invite Dennis uh, to come up to read uh, Scripture this morning. As he comes, would you please stand to honor the Word of God? Starting in John 14, verse 15. Sorry. If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever the spirit of truth. The word, I'm sorry, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Jumping ahead to 1526. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. Now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me in regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer, and in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Dennis. You can be seated. Uh, So beginning today, three weeks on our church's values. And the way we say this, you can find more about this actually in your bulletin on the inside, Uh, or on the website as well. The way we say this as a church is that through God's mercy, we are becoming a people who love grace and truth, unity, and the kingdom. These are our three values. Through God's mercy, we are becoming a people who love grace and truth, unity, and the kingdom. So today, I'll cover grace and truth. Two weeks from now, we'll pick up unity and then uh, the kingdom. And again, look on the website, look in your bulletin to see how these kind of work their way into uh, how we live together and serve together as 
a church, grace and truth. At the beginning of the Gospel of John, in chapter 1, verse 14, the author says about Jesus, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The author's talking about Jesus. He says, Jesus came, the Word became flesh, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the only human, not only human, but the only human who ever perfectly embodied, held together both grace and truth. You and I, we lean one direction or the other depending on all sorts of different circumstances in our lives. Jesus held, uh, holds together perfectly grace and truth. And so he is our model when we say that as a church we are coming to love grace and truth. Today is also Pentecost Sunday, the day when churches around the world are remembering the gift of the Holy Spirit to the church. Some of you will remember the story that the disciples were told by Jesus to wait in Jerusalem until the gift God had promised, Jesus had promised, arrived. And so they're kind of huddled in an upper room. They're confused. They're scared. They're, they're waiting. They're not sure what's going to come next. And then on this festival day, this Jewish festival, the day of Pentecost, Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit onto the church. And this group of confused, timid, uh, frightened women and men all of a sudden transform into a community that is bold and courageous and and humble and interested in what God is doing, not just in their own little uh, sphere of nationalism or ethnocentrism, but actually what God is doing everywhere. They want to be a part of it, and the church quickly explodes around the world through the, the power of the Holy Spirit. Today is Pentecost. We celebrate this gift of the Holy Spirit. And from now until Advent, uh, late November, we'll be living in this Pentecost season, remembering that we live and exist by the power of the Holy Spirit. So today I want us to see the connection between this value of grace and truth and Pentecost, the gift of the Holy Spirit. I want us to see how these things are tied together. And to do that, I want to put just one big idea in front of us this morning. Here's the big idea. The Holy Spirit is your personal advocate. The Holy Spirit is your personal advocate. The Holy Spirit is my personal advocate. Can you say that? The Holy Spirit. All right, so relatively straightforward, relatively simple, right? We'll come back to this over and over again, but it would help to to ask what an advocate is. Now, the translation that Dennis was reading from used the word counselor, and this actually helps us because the word here for advocate that Jesus used is the word paraclete, and there's there's not a kind of literal English translation that would say this is exactly what this word means. And so when you look at different translations of these passages or translations about paraclete, you'll see it's translated in different ways. You'll see the word counselor is used, comforter, helper. Some people think that it should be convincer or representative. So you get a sense of kind of the wideness of this Greek word that doesn't really have a perfect equivalent in English. But I think advocate is is probably the most helpful translation for us because an advocate carries with it a bit of a a legal sense, kind of representing somebody in a courtroom setting, someone who needs to be defended in some way. But there's also kind of a a friendship element to to, to advocacy. So I think we could maybe say that, that advocate, in the way that Jesus is using this word about the Holy Spirit, advocate is someone with authority and compassion to defend you completely. An advocate is somebody with authority and compassion to defend you completely. Okay? 
you and I in the Holy Spirit have a personal advocate. And I hope by the end of this sermon that this idea that the Holy Spirit is your personal advocate, I hope that this idea will be really, really good news. I hope that the rest of your day will be amazing because of how good news this is, that the Holy Spirit is your personal advocate. In order, though, for it to be good news, I think we need to ask two questions. First, we need to ask, why do we need an advocate in the first place? Because if we don't need an advocate, who cares if the Holy Spirit is our advocate, right? Like, if you're fine on your own, if you don't need anybody advocating for you, then it's not all that impressive that the Holy Spirit is your advocate. So why do we need an advocate? And then the second question that I I want us to ask is, what kind of an advocate is the Holy Spirit? There are lawyers who are not great lawyers. There are counselors who are not great counselors. There are therapists who are not great therapists. There are helpers who are not great helpers. There are advocates who are not great advocates. So what kind of an advocate is the Holy Spirit? If this is going to be good news for us, we need to understand why we need an advocate, but also we need to understand just what sort of an advocate the Holy Spirit is. Amen? You with me? You awake? All right, here we go. Why do we need an advocate? Uh, Jesus hints at this actually in chapter 16, verse 11, when he says that the prince of this world now stands condemned. Uh, Jesus is looking forward just a little bit to the time after his crucifixion and resurrection when through Jesus, God triumphs over sin and death and evil, and yet the spiritual battle remains. The war is over. The enemy has been defeated. Death itself has been defeated. Jesus is the first fruits of this victory in his resurrection over sin, death, and evil. And yet, there remains an enemy who is seeking to wreak havoc on the world and the people of God. If you kind of study World War II a little bit, you'll hear these interesting stories of, of this moment during the war when it was clear to everybody that the war was over, that, that, that this thing was done. But the word didn't get out to everybody, and so battles still continued to to wage in different parts, even though those in control, those in power, knew that the war was over. These battles continued to wage until word got to all the different fronts that the war was over. This is a bit like the times that we find ourselves in. The war is over, and yet the enemy continues to wage his battles against this world. The enemy's tactics, now the Bible refers to the enemy as Satan or the devil. This is the enemy of God. The, the, the enemy's tactics are, are relatively straightforward. He's a liar. He, he's a deceiver. This is what God's enemy has always done from the very beginning in Genesis. Did God really tell you such and such? Not particularly creative, but incredibly effective. This is the enemy's tactics. He lies, he uh, deceives, and our world so often is deceived by the enemy's lies. We fall under the sway of this enemy. And so what we find is that our world so often opposes God's truth for a, a very simple reason, and it's that the world has believed the enemy's lies rather than God's truth. The the world has come to believe that the enemy's lies are what are most accurate, the most accurate representation of what is true and real and honest about things rather than God's truth. Let me give you an an example of how I think this plays out. On April 12th in Baltimore, police chased Freddie Gray for 
running after he had made eye contact with the police. How many of you know the story? So they chased him down. Gray was arrested. He was dragged to a police van, screaming in pain and thrown in the back. Somewhere on the way to the police station on April 12th, Gray's spinal cord was severed, three vertebrae were broken, and he fell into a coma. Three, or excuse me, one week later, he was dead. Uh, and, and if you know this story, you might think, well, yeah, that, that's a horrible thing, but doesn't the ensuing outrage and, and protest show us that, that, that the world hadn't bought into our enemy's lies? Doesn't the world actually know the truth about how horrible this situation is? And I would say, no, absolutely not. I would say that the only reason why so many people came to care about this story is because it was on video. And the only reason so many people came to care about this story is because it was so dramatic and the man actually died. It couldn't be ignored. It couldn't be swept under the rug. Consider for a minute all of the lies that had to be told and believed in order for Freddie Gray to be killed. Lies that our world would have happily continued to believe if we had been allowed to do so. Consider the lie that that it was okay for Gray to be profiled because of his context in a a neighborhood that had higher concentrations of poverty and, and unemployment, that it was okay for him to be profiled because of his race and gender. Consider the lie that it was reasonable to arrest Gray without any probable cause because he made eye contact. Consider the lie that it was understandable that Gray would be left unrestrained in the back of the van, a tactic known as a rough ride in order to be intimidated. Or think about the lie that it was It was understandable that Gray's arrest would be attributed to an illegal knife that he was carrying. And in fact, the officers only found the knife after he had been arrested, and the knife was in fact legal. Or how about the lie that it's, it's explainable, maybe lamentable, but explainable, that Gray could be left unconscious in the back of the van while it made five additional stops before medical help was ever sought on his behalf. You see, there there are a million different lies that must be believed in order for Gray to ever have been profiled in the first place. A million different lies that had to be believed in order for him to be arrested, to be brutalized, for him to be killed. I realize this is an especially dramatic example, but I hope that it serves to show how deadly our enemies' lies are, but also how subtle and pervasive they are. We only become aware of them when something so dramatic and horrible happens. When we, the people of God, obey Jesus' commands and confront the enemy's lies, the lies of our world, we can absolutely expect to be opposed. Jesus promises us this. In chapter 16, verses 2 and 3, Jesus says, they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. Those Christians who are confused about how godly obedience and hardship can coexist are forgetting the times that we live in. 
We don't live in the new heavens and the new earth. We don't live in the times after Jesus has returned and made all things right. We live between the enemy's defeat and his final destruction. We live between the empty tomb and Christ's return. In other words, we live while there is still an enemy at war with us. And Jesus is very clear about this. He says, obeying me out of love means you will face the opposition of a lying enemy and a lying world. Now, all of this wouldn't necessarily mean that we need a heavenly advocate, except for the fact that our human frailty, that our human sinfulness, means that our enemies' lies and the lies of our world wiggle their way into our hearts and our minds. So think again about Baltimore for a second and and consider the many non-black Christians there and here who, when they heard the news of Freddie Gray's death, assumed that he had done something to deserve it. Think of the way the lies entangle themselves around our hearts and our minds. And, And consider, as I've heard from too many friends too many times, the ways African-American Christians feel who have been profiled and and publicly humiliated, the the personal shame as though they have done something wrong to deserve that treatment. The lies of our enemy work their way into our hearts and our mind. This is the insidious nature of our world's lies. They don't remain out there. They work their way into us, into our feeling and thinking, into our emotions and our thoughts. We internalize the lies and we lie to ourselves. We lie to ourselves about our identity. We lie to ourselves about our worthiness. We lie to ourselves about the source of our salvation, what we look to for our hope. As John says in 1 John chapter 3, our very hearts come to condemn us. Church, we need an advocate. We need an advocate to defend us from our world's lies, but we also need an advocate to defend us from our own warped thinking and beliefs. We need an advocate who will renew our minds and restore our hearts. We're halfway now to understanding why it's good news that the Holy Spirit is your personal advocate. Gets us to the second question. What kind of an advocate is the Holy Spirit? Jesus says in verse 16 of chapter 14, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. The most helpful for our purposes word in that sentence is the word another. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another advocate. In other words, Jesus is our first advocate. So if we want to know what the Holy Spirit is like, let's look at what Jesus is like. Let's look at what kind of advocate Jesus is. In in the Gospel of Luke, the author says that Jesus, at the beginning of His ministry, He stands up and He proclaims good news to the poor. He proclaims freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. He he says that he's come to set the oppressed free. So I don't know what you picture when you picture an advocate, but I need you to not think of a passive lawyer hidden away in her office waiting for a client to pay enough in order to be represented. I need you to think of an active. 
active advocate. I need you to think of an advocate who left heaven to rescue the poor, to free the captives, to heal the sick, and to liberate the oppressed. You see, unlike any human lawyer, any human advocate, Jesus doesn't simply go to the courtroom to advocate for us. Jesus goes to the courtroom and He surrenders Himself in our place. When the prosecuting attorney called your name, Jesus stood up. When the judge pronounced your sentence, Jesus had it applied to His record. When the jailer came to take you away, Jesus placed His hands in your shackles. When the executioner came to end it all, Jesus substituted His body for yours. His perfect record for your rebellion. His truth for your lies. His grace for your failures. And when the enemy came to claim His prize, it was Jesus that He found. Not you. Not me. Jesus' advocacy for you extended to hell itself. Do you want to know what kind of an advocate the Holy Spirit is? Look at Jesus and see His grace. Look at the active grace of Jesus. Look at the costly grace of Jesus. Look at the saving grace of Jesus. Look at the transforming grace of Jesus. This is what kind of an advocate Jesus is. This is the kind of personal advocate you and I have in the Holy Spirit. Three times Jesus says of this advocate that He is the Spirit of truth. It's true, it's a fact, that the prince of this world is a masterful liar. It's true that the world has believed his lies. It's true that you and I cannot watch a single TV show without being lied to. We can't watch a single ad. We can't walk down a single block. We can't get through a single day's work. We can't listen to a single politician, somebody say amen, without being lied to. But here's another fact that resists every single one of these lies. The Holy Spirit is truth. Not sometimes truth, not mostly truth, not truthiness, not occasional truth, not truth until it gets uncomfortable. The Holy Spirit is truth, period. In chapter 4, verse 17, He is the Spirit of truth who will be with you forever. In chapter 15, verse 26, He is the Spirit of truth who is sent to you by God the Father. In chapter 16, verse 12, He is the Spirit of truth who will guide you into all truth. It gets better. In verse 17 of chapter 14, Jesus says, You know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. Not only will our advocate tell us the truth, not only will our advocate guide us into all truth, if you're a Christian this morning, this truth resides in you. You are immunized with truth. This does not mean that we will not occasionally be deceived. The enemy is crafty and the battle continues. But if I can push a little bit this morning, I wonder if we have believed far more lies of the enemy than we ever needed to. 
I've noticed that many of us are very interested in knowing the difference between right and wrong. We want to know the right thing over the wrong thing. Is this the right job? Is this the right person to date? Is this the right time to pursue my dream? There's nothing bad about wanting to do right. But the right thing is but a pale reflection of the true thing. Jesus did not say, then you will know the right thing to do and the right thing to do will set you free. Jesus said, then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. You see, the right thing is about what to do in a particular situation. The true thing is about what is fundamentally real and honest about God and about the world and about yourself. Jesus promises that the spirit of truth is closer than your own breath. May I suggest to you that when you find yourself succumbing to the same old tired lies that you stop praying about the right thing to do and start asking that you would know intimately the love of the spirit of truth. Instead of, is it right for me to date him? How about, what is the truth about who he is? What is the truth about who I am? What is the truth about what God has called me to? Church, the truth is closer than you can imagine. And the truth is available to those who ask for it. The Holy Spirit of truth lives with you. The Holy Spirit of truth will be in you. And there's more. There's a a loop that we see three times in this passage. We see the the Son gives the Holy Spirit through the Father to us, and the Spirit then testifies to the Son. Just one example in verse 26 of chapter 15. When the Advocate, when the Holy Spirit comes, whom I, that's Jesus, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Do you see the loop? Jesus, through the Father, gives the Spirit to you. The Spirit then through you testifies back to Jesus. Are you seeing it? There's a loop here. Now, on the one hand, this is simply a very beautiful, compelling image of the loving intimacy of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in relationship with one another. But there is also a massive implication for us and a window into what kind of an advocate the Holy Spirit is. There is a very good reason that you cannot advocate for yourself. You're actually guilty. I'm actually guilty. We're not guilty of nearly everything the enemy would accuse us of, but we're certainly not completely innocent. Can anybody say amen? Amen. So if you cheat, the enemy then labels you a cheater. If you lie, then the enemy labels you a liar. So when you, on your own merit and your own authority, appeal your own case, the evidence comes crashing down. No, you cheated. You lied. You stole. You gossiped. So that's who you are. But the Holy Spirit 
is an advocate whose authority comes directly from the Son of God, the same one who defeated that accuser. There is no higher court. Any and every argument against a Christian needs to be immediately discredited by the Holy Spirit's appeal to the Son. Let's dig this out a little bit. When the enemy attempts to label you with false identity, the Holy Spirit testifies on your behalf that, no, you are a child of God. So the enemy says, you lie, so fundamentally you are a liar. The advocate says, no, in Jesus you are a child of God who is being freed of the need to prove and protect yourself by lying. The enemy says, you've slept around, so you're an adulterer. The advocate says, no, in Jesus you are a child of God who is finding the deep sources of lasting relational intimacy and acceptance. The enemy says, your thoughts are infected with prejudice, so you're a racist. The advocate says, no, in Jesus, you are also a child of God who now has the freedom to confess your prejudice and reject our society's racism. Is this good news yet? Are we getting even close to good news yet? The enemy says, you're a thief, you're worthless, you're a failure, you're ugly, you're lazy. The enemy says, you sin, so fundamentally and eternally, you're a sinner. Your personal advocate, the Holy Spirit, says, no, no, no. In Jesus, your sins have been forgiven. Your identity is secure. And your eternal value can no longer be questioned. The enemy says, you've been overlooked. You've been abandoned. You've been rejected. You've been left behind. And so what that means is you are unlovely. You are undesirable. You are unworthy. And the advocate, the Holy Spirit of the living God, says, no, 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 no. In Jesus, you are a child of God whose value is unmatched. The apple of the Father's eye, worthy of the greatest sacrifice the world has ever known. You are lovely. You are desirable. You are eternally worthy. Every time the enemy whispers his baseless accusations against you, you, child of God, do not point to your own record. Do not appeal to your own morality. Do not even defend yourself. Turn instead to your personal advocate who has at his disposal the resources of heaven, the power of the Father, and the authority of the victorious Son of God. In this Pentecost time, when our enemy remains at large, we need an advocate. And more specifically, we need an advocate who is just like the Holy Spirit of the living God. That photo on there? On May 1st, the state's attorney of Baltimore, Marilyn Mosby, stood up in front of a press conference and declared that Freddie Gray's death was a homicide. Now, that's a big deal. Because there's a lot of men who've lost their lives to police brutality lately, and nobody has stood up and said, this is the truth. After explaining the charges, she then directed her comments to the protesters. Listen to what she said. I will seek justice on your behalf. This is a moment. This is your moment. Let's ensure that we have peaceful and productive rallies that will develop structural and systemic changes for generations to come. You are at the forefront of this cause, 
And as young people, our time is now. She didn't say your time. She didn't say their time. She said our time is now. In that moment, Attorney Mosby became an advocate not simply for Freddie Gray, not simply for his grieving family, but for an entire group of besieged women and men, citizens of Baltimore. She did not stand behind the lies of a system that would excuse Gray's death. She did not stand at a distance, keeping her hands clean, afraid to get a bit dirty. She says, our time is now. Our time is now. The Guardian newspaper reported that the reaction was immediate. Whoops of joy and cries of justice were heard from bystanders as Mosby, a 35-year-old African-American woman who has been in the job for less than six months, spoke at an intersection in West Baltimore that had become the base for demonstrations. Cars honked their horns and drivers pumped their fists in the air. This is what it looks like to have an advocate. This is what it looks like to have an advocate who will stand up for you, who will fight for you, who will expose lies for you, who will tell the truth for you and about you. The Holy Spirit will call a press conference on your behalf at any moment. He will declare the truth over your life. He will defend you to the very end. He will appeal to the highest authority. And the whoops and joys and cries for justice heard in Baltimore pale in comparison to the great cloud of witnesses who rejoices even today that God's victory is advancing in our world and in your life. The Holy Spirit is your personal advocate. Is it good news? Do we get to some good news? In Him, you will know God's truth. In Him, you will know God's grace. Amen? Amen. Amen. Worship team, come up. Let's pray. So, Spirit of God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being our advocate. Thank you for knowing what we need. Thanks for knowing more than we could ever know about what our need is. Thank you for standing in our gap. Thank you for advocating for us. Thank you for telling the truth uh, for us and about us. Thank you for exposing uh, the lies that so quickly wiggle their way into us. God, be our advocate, Holy Spirit. Fight for us. Defend us. I pray for anybody this morning, I pray for anybody this morning who is feeling besieged by deception, by lies. I pray for anyone this morning who's feeling tangled up, whose heart has condemned themselves. Free them today. Free them today. Holy Spirit, speak to them. Remind them that truth itself is here. It's not somewhere else. It doesn't have to be sought. It is here because you are here. God, for any this morning who don't know you, who haven't said yes to you, who don't know that they can confidently know this power of the Holy Spirit, God, I pray that you would welcome them into your relationship today. I pray that you would uh, uh, extend again today your great and beautiful offer of redemption and forgiveness in relationship with God himself so that every single one of us could walk out of this room knowing that we have a heavenly advocate that we can appeal to the highest authority this universe has ever known, that there is no one who can come against us, that there is no one who can slander us, that there is no one, that there was no one, that there was no one who can undermine our identities as children of God created in your image. So 
do it for us today, we pray confidently, confidently. You've not left us as orphans. You've not forgotten us. You've not abandoned us. You've not gotten distracted from us. So we come to you today confidently praying that we would know the truth of the Holy Spirit of the living God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God, now receive these tithes and offerings. Put them to work for your service, for the good of our neighborhood. We think especially for our neighbors at Jackie Robinson. God, allow the generosity of your people to be a blessing to every student, to every teacher, to every administrator, to every parent that is associated with that school. Let them know your love and the generosity of this people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.